Amen. You can be seated. Let's grab our Bibles and open up to the book of Proverbs. We'll begin tonight by looking in Proverbs chapter 10. Uh, that's page 736 on your pew Bible, probably somewhere in that neighborhood in your Bible. So it'll get you right there where you need to be, I would imagine. Close to it. Page 736. Proverbs chapter 10. We started a conversation last week about communication and we talking about listening and talking about speaking and talking about the heart. We really open this up by laying a foundation of, of the source. We said last week that we'd consider the source and tonight we're going to consider the struggle. So the source of communication is the heart. The heart is is where our words emulate from. It's where uh, it's the it's the seat of our emotions. The heart is like the GPS for our uh, our emotions and our uh, all of the things that proceed out of our mouth. So, with that in mind, let's pray and ask God to help us as we now consider the struggle that comes from within us. Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we know that you have so much to say, and Lord, so much. Uh, they could be said tonight. But God, we just pray that your spirit would lead, guide, and direct our conversation. Father, I pray that what would happen tonight is as we have this conversation, Lord, our our very lives in the here and now would, would begin to change. The way that we steward the words that we have, Lord God. And Father God, as we just speak to those around us, Lord, those we love, those we don't know, that God, our words would would be sweet and redeeming to your ears, Father God. Thank you for dying for all of the, the words spoken that shouldn't be spoken. And Lord, we just thank you for your grace and mercy. Now help us tonight, we pray, by giving us ears to hear and hearts to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we talked about Matthew chapter 12, which is really a stunning passage of scripture last week and we talked about how we'll the, how serious uh, the scripture takes words really what we saw is that the tongue it doesn't betray our heart it reveals our heart I mean we we talked about how you can't get around the heart you can't talk around it you know you, we can pretend and we can we can discipline ourselves to you know say the right things I mean we learn that at a young age children uh, learn you know what they can and can't say and, and uh, you know, are careful with their words and so on and so forth. But, you know, we, we always eventually get caught. So, kids, I just hope you realize that there's, you, you can only play that game for so long and then, you know, it's going to slip up. The tongue is going to betray you. It always will. It's going to reveal you. And really, the reason for that is, is that... God has an economy with all things. And in the economy of God, words are very, very precious and very, very valuable. And so God, for example, communicates to us through His Word. You know, when, when the first words that were spoken, God spoke them. And one of the, the ways in which we're made in the image of God is our ability to speak. That we, when we talk, that is from the image of God that we're able to talk. And I just spent some time this week thinking about 
you know, this is how my brain works. I just start thinking about all the, the ways that God could have made us differently. You know how He could have given us the ability to communicate by thought. And so there wouldn't have been any speaking. There wouldn't have been any sound. I would just, I would just think, you know, oh, hey, Bradley, how you doing? I'd think that. And he'd think back, hey, Tony, how you doing? And we wouldn't even have to say anything. And I just thought, you know, how boring life would be and just in silence all the time. And then how, you know, it would just, you know, imagine in a room full of people where you're, you know, everybody's yapping and talking and so on and so forth. And then, but it would just be quiet, but it'd be all this thoughts going everywhere. And God could have made it that way if he'd have wanted to. He could have made us to communicate any way uh, he, he desired. But He made us in His image and He puts a very uh, high priority on words that He gives us His Word with unsurpassed power, that He communicates to us in words, that He has us communicate to one another in words. And, and think about what words mean. I mean. Think about the fact that when God decides how we're going to relate to Him, He chooses the word Father. And how that word means so much to us before we, for example, in my life, in your life, but it's, I know firsthand that the word Father was a very preeminent word in my life before I ever had any notion of God. That He built into me, Father is an important word. And I knew the, the pain of not having a father. And I knew the desire as a little boy of wanting a father. And then God comes along. I'm introduced to God. And God says, you, you call me father. He uses that word, just that one simple word that we, we say that word all the time. But just stop and think about the, the gravity of that word. Think about how we take a word like love and we just throw it around and how love can mean so many things in so many different contexts in our vernacular. But what love means when God says the word love, what that means. When God heals the sick with a word or calms a storm. And we talked about how the book of Proverbs is really a, it's, you know, Proverbs is about wisdom, but it has more to say about words in our speech than anywhere else in the Scripture. And there's these... The, the thing about Proverbs, that one of the... If you say to yourself, well, how do you become wise? If you, if you... I mean, if you just want to read Proverbs and, and come to some conclusions by the way it's written, you're going to find out that Proverbs makes you wise by linking certain things together, by linking topics together that belong together so that you become wise when you understand that these things are connected. So, if that's true, look at Proverbs chapter 10, verse 31. The Scripture says, the end of chapter 10, it says, "...the mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue will be cut out. The lips of the righteous..." Know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked, what is perverse. Now, notice the connection between the tongue and wisdom. That 
When a person possesses wisdom, the tongue is affected. The words that we use are affected. We, you can't uh, speak like a fool and claim to be wisdom. There's a connection that says that in Scripture that says, no, that's not right. It's, it's going to sell you out. It's going to expose the truth. Okay, flip over to Proverbs 12. I'll show you another one. I mean, there's a hundred of them. But look at Proverbs 12, verse 13. The wicked is ensnared by the transgression of his lips, but the righteous will come through trouble. A man will be satisfied with good by the fruit of his mouth, but the recompense of a man's hands will be rendered to him. Now, what is... What, what do we see there? A connection between the tongue and the, your quality of life. The, the outcome of your life is going to be impacted by the tongue. That's what you see there. There's a connection there. That the wicked is going to be ensnared by the transgression of his lips, but the righteous is going to come through trouble. So the, what we experience in our life is connected to our words. What I'm trying to get you to see here is that the heart, the heart is the seed, the, the seat of the emotion. It's the it's the the place in us that is going to you see our circumstances, this is what we're we we're so easily conned into believing, that our circumstances are going to determine the way we feel. Our circumstances around us are going to determine the way we experience our life. That is not at all what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that your heart, the condition of your heart, is going to determine how you experience life. The condition of your heart is going to determine how you see your circumstances, how you, how you move through difficulty, how you... So, for example, when someone who always is negative and always sees trouble and always... It's a heart issue. A person who's filled with fret, fretting all the time and worry all the time, and it's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. A person who is... Who, who, is confident in God in the midst of difficulty and trial. That is a, an indication of the condition of their heart. It, is, it all boils down to the heart. And, and I know this isn't the topic of our discussion, but I, I just want to say that there's nowhere that that's, it's more important to constantly remind ourselves of that than when we're dealing with our children. If, if we, the biggest mistake that I make, the biggest mistake that I see made around me is that we parent oh, but neglecting the heart. It's the heart. Parent based on the heart. Respond to your children's sin based on their heart. Respond to their weaknesses based on their heart. Respond based on the condition of their heart and you'll find that it, it will be a million times more effective and more productive. And so I, I thought, now how am I going to drive this point home? And I remembered that uh, a while back I was, I don't even know what I was preparing a sermon on, but I was preparing a sermon, I don't remember, you know, nine, ten months ago, something like that. And I had this uh, letter 
that I was going to use to, to illustrate the point, and I ended up not using it. And I remembered that I, that I had this in my office, and so I dug it up. I said, this is perfect to illustrate what I'm saying. The, the actor, Steve Martin, you know, the comedian, the guy who's uh, done all these movies, well, his movies have grossed $1.6 billion. He's made 35 major major motion pictures. I would say that the guy has uh, been successful in his career. This is a letter that he wrote uh, that I got my hands on, and it just really impacted me. He wrote this letter uh, about his father after his father died. And here's what he says. He said, My father's attitude towards my show business accomplishments was always critical. After my first appearance on Saturday Night, Saturday Night Live on, in 1976, he wrote a bad review of me in the newsletter of the Newport Board of Realtors where he was the president. In the early 80s, a close friend of mine whose own father was killed walking across the street and whose mother committed suicide on Mother's Day said to me that if I had anything to work out with my parents, I should do it now because one day that opportunity would be gone. Well, when I heard his remark, I really had no idea that I would ever want to work anything out with my parents. That, in fact, there was nothing to work out at all. But it stewed in my brain for years. And soon I decided to try to get to know my parents. I took them to lunch every Sunday that I could. And I would goad them into talking. It was one of our it was one of our routine lunches that I drove them home, and my mother and father were now in their eighties. And when we got home, I would they would always uh, walk me back to my car, and I would kiss my mother on the cheek, and my father I would wave or awkwardly say goodbye to. But this particular time, we hugged each other, and he whispered in my ear, I love you, with a voice that was barely audible. This was the first time that these words were ever spoken between us. I returned the phrase with the same awkward, broken delivery. Now, here he is in his 80s. A few years earlier, or in his, my father's death declined, his health began to decline shortly thereafter, and he became bedridden. There must be an instinct about when the end is near in someone's life, as we all find ourselves gathered at my parents' home in Orange County, California. I walked into the house and they, that they had lived in for 35 years, and my weeping sister said, He's saying goodbye to everyone. A hospice nurse looked at me and said, this is what happens. Uh, this is when it all happens. I didn't know what she meant at the time, but I soon did. I walked into the bedroom where he lay, his mind alert, but his body failing. And he looked at me and he said, I'm ready now. I understand that this, uh, that his in intensifying Rage over the last few years had been against death and now his resistance was abating. I stood at the end of the bed 
and we looked at each other's eyes for a long, unbroken time. At last he murmured, you did everything you wanted to do. I said, the truth. I replied, I did it for you. Looking back, I'm sure that we both had different interpretations of what that meant. I sat at the edge of the bed and another silence fell over us. And then he said, I wish I could cry. I wish I could cry. At first, I took his comment on his on his condition, but I'm forever thankful that I pushed on. I said, what do you want to cry about? He paused and finally said, for all the love I received and couldn't return. He had kept his secret, his desire to love his family from me and from my mother his whole life. It was as though an early misstep had kept us forever out of stride. You see the power of words? I mean, here, here's a man in his 80s and on his deathbed. His son, who is never connected with him, he has never had any relation at all. And, and on his deathbed, he, he says that he wants to cry for all the love he received, but he didn't return. And how would he have returned that love? Did you notice that in there, what struck me about that was because I'm a, I'm a dad, I'm a man, and I know how we think. There's not a word in there about how his dad was as a provider. There's nothing in there about his dad's work ethic or, you know, he got up every day and went to work and provided for us and did all these things. Didn't say doesn't say anything about that. You know where we go wrong so many times, guys, is that we assume that what we think our actions are conveying are getting across. But you see, you got to put words in there. You, you can do things that may show that you love somebody, but if you don't say the words, I love you, look at the brokenness that results. You can't circumvent words. You know, you, you, it's like words without actions are, are empty, but the other way around, it works in reverse, doesn't it? You can do and do and do, but you have to say. We have to, we have to speak. We have to say the words, I love you. We have to, and, and to read that and to think an early misstep kept us forever out of stride. It just makes me think of, of, you know, all the words that I never heard spoken and all the words that I wish I would have heard spoken and all the words that I've spoken that I wish I wouldn't have spoken. And I think about how 
the times when I sit down with my children and I, uh, you know, share my heart with them, or I, I there's this wonderful uh, teaching moment where I'm gonna just, you know, pour some wonderful fatherly wisdom in their life, and you know, I don't think they remember those times. I don't think they remember those words. But they remember the words that I said that I wish I could take back. They, every one of those is, is seared into their hearts. And you know, how many, how many words of affirmation and how many words of encouragement and how many words of love does it take to, to overwhelm one of those words that we wish we could take back? They just sort of hang there, don't they? They just sit there. And the thing about it is, is all of you in this room, you all remember. You remember moments where people have said things to you that were, were hurtful or were almost, it almost feels debilitating. Because words have this power. And they, they can wound so deeply. If you're still in Proverbs 12, just go down a couple verses, look at, Proverbs twelve eighteen. There is one who speaks like the piercing of a sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. So look at the look at the dichotomy that's laid out there. Look at the two sides of the power of words. That on one hand they can they can they're like a piercing sword. On the other hand, they can promote health. That And who makes that determination? We do. We make that determination. We, we make that choice. The condition of our heart is what's going to result in that which comes out of our mouth. And so if, if I were to ask you, what percentage of your life have you spent making the big life-altering, you know, the, the big, huge decisions in your life? Like, how much time did you spend thinking about uh, who you were going to marry? You know, how much in the grand scheme of all your time, if from right now to the day you were born constitutes 100% of your time, what percentage of that time was spent on the big life-altering decisions? So I thought about that. I thought about all the biggest decisions I've ever made and what percentage of that time. And I thought, well, I would be hard-pressed. I mean, I'd really have to stretch it to even make it 1%. Right? Sure. So all the rest, the 99.9% of my life is all goes into the sort of the mundane category. Now, granted, those, that one, you know, those couple times, those were life-altering decisions. And I'm not, under, I'm not undervaluing those decisions. I'm just simply saying on a grand scheme of things, basically the vast, vast majority of our lives is just mundane. It's just the day-in, day-out things, right? Sure. So the point I think that Proverbs would teach us about that is that that which rules the mundane rules your life. 
In other words, if, if you, if you use the right words, if you, if you consider the right words, if you approach rightly the, you know, if you take the big decisions of your life before God, well, what good is that if all of the rest of the time you're just living in your own power and strength? In other words, you see the hypocrisy that's going to result from that? And the point is, is that whatever rules the mundane, because the, the, if I really want to know who you are, I'm not going to, I don't want to come and, 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 and talk to you or I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to observe you when you're in some critical life altering decision mode, when you're, all your focus is on something and you're right. Sure. No, because that's not the real you. The real you and the real me is just in the mundane, isn't it? It's just in the average, everyday, ordinary times of life. It's just in the hanging out times. It's just in the being yourself time. And that's where I think words cause us the biggest problem. You know, I mean, we, I think we can, uh, we can turn it up and down. We know that there's important people around or there's, you know, important things that are going to be said or whatever the case may be that we, we can keep our words from slipping. But, but just in the, in the regular flow of life, that's where the truth about our words is going to reveal us. And so the struggle is, is with our heart. It's in our heart, but the struggle is, is against our flesh. That our flesh has an agenda. And, and it's working, and, and that our words, it's wanting to pull our words in one direction, and then God has an agenda, and His Spirit is leading our words in a different direction. Second Corinthians chapter 5, this verse will come up on the screen. I want you to just take this verse in. Second Corinthians chapter 5. We talked about this verse in our previous uh, sermon series about sanctification. Verse 15. He died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for Him who died for them and rose again. Now, Paul says that Jesus died that those who live should no longer live for themselves. Now, I thought Jesus died for my sin. Well, He did die for my sin. But Paul is just saying that in another way. He's saying, well, He died for your sin, but He died that so that you would no longer live for yourself. That the... The heart that you had prior to conversion was a heart that lived for itself. It was a heart that was always bent inwardly, right? It was always warped to the inside. It always turned inward. But the Bible says that He died that we wouldn't live for ourselves anymore. That our heart would change. You see, because when I say the words that I, when I started trying to make a list of all the, the words that I wish I could take back, and, you know, of course, that's just overwhelming. But what you have to do is just focus on one specific area. So what I did was I started, I started going 
writing down, and it was painful, I started writing down all these things that I can remember that I've said to my kids that I wish I could take back. And then I started looking at each statement. I started thinking about what was the context of each of these things. And you know what I realized? That every single one of them was really me looking out for myself. It was, it was my selfishness. It was me first. That all of those errant words... I mean, I can, I can, I can make a, 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 a warped case that, oh, well, you know, I mean, it was, it, was, it was for their good. No, no, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. The reason that I said it the way I said it was because, because I was angry. Because I was frustrated, because I was disappointed, because I was, because I, 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 it was all about I. It really wasn't about them. And then I started rephrasing all of those things. I thought, now, according to the wisdom of the book of Proverbs, how would I say all those things? And when all of them changed from I, I, I to them, 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 to shepherding their heart in whatever situation. You see, because I can identify the fact that someone that I love is in a situation that I wish they weren't in. And I have a choice. I can shepherd their heart like God shepherds our heart. I can shepherd their heart in the direction of where I want them to go. Or I can just lash out in frustration. I can just lash out in disappointment. I can, I can live for myself. I can speak for myself. I can, I can cave into the desire of the flesh in me to just live for myself and not live for them, which is exactly what Paul's talking about in 2 Corinthians. Okay, let's fast forward to the here and now. We're in Galatians on Sunday morning. Well, in Galatians chapter 5, this passage will come up too, which is a verse that will, so a passage we'll deal with in a, several months from now. But in Galatians chapter 5, here's what the Apostle Paul says. He says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty or your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Verse 14. For all the laws fulfilled in one word. Even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now watch what happens. So, here, so here's this, the, the, this, these two verses about, about the liberty that we've been called to, the freedom that we have, and it's the, the context is of this relationship and how all the law is fulfilled in love, that we should love our neighbor as ourselves. And the next thing he says is, but if you bite and devour one another... Beware lest you be consumed or you consume one another. Now, now here's what just jumps off the page at me. Notice what it says in verse 15. If you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed. You. You personally, me personally, that we would that you would be consumed. Not that your words would be consumed, not that your, your relationship would be consumed, but that you would be consumed. You see, it's, it's, the, it's relationship. It's saying, here's, here's this relationship that you're now able to have. You've been, 
It's the love of Christ that compels us that we, we now, because He's died, we don't live for ourselves. And then in Galatians, He comes along and says, now that you've got this liberty. Why do you have this liberty? Because Jesus died for the good news so that you now, in Christ, have liberty. And what do you do for this liberty? That you, you don't use it for the flesh, but you love and you serve one another. That in relationship, you, you shepherd the hearts of each other. That we look outside. We, the war is against the heart that wants to live for ourselves. It wants to be all about me. It wants to serve my agenda. It wants to serve my comfort. It wants to do everything about me and not about you. But if we put other things first, other people first, if we prioritize each other, then we accomplish the will of God. But if we don't, what we'll do is we will turn inwardly and bite and devour one another and we will be consumed. That's what will happen. And so here's the thing. Relationships going along and things are going along fine. And then all of a sudden, an errant word comes out. And then that word sparks another. And then here it goes, here it goes. And then pretty soon, what damage is done. And then maybe maybe that uh, simmers down and, and settles in and, and we're able to move on. But we're not where we were before that happened. It's still there. And then the next time, we don't go to where we were, but we escalate from there. And then the next time, we escalate from there. And it just keeps building and building and building. And it's just words. And what's the problem? It's never. No one has ever come into my office, never come into my office and said, man, we got to talk, you know, here... And, you know, this is my husband, this is my wife, we got a huge problem, we got to talk, Pastor, you got to help us. Okay, what's the problem? You know, let's talk about this. Here's the problem. Every time I turn around, she's putting me first. It's never happened. Never happened. I'm, I've, never, I've never had a wife sit in my office in tears and say, I just don't know what's wrong with my husband. I mean, all he wants to do is serve me. No. What is it? It's always, here's what I want, and here's what you want. And I'm, I'm un, unwilling to yield, and you're unwilling to yield, and we're just clashing together. And it's because we're, we can't seem to see, we can't agree on anything. Oh, no, that's not true. I don't say this. But I'm thinking, no, no, you're in perfect agreement. You agree completely. That each of you is, is in agreement that you're right and the other one's wrong. And that's where we are. But it's not, it's not loving each other as we love ourselves. It's just loving ourselves and expecting other people to love us in the midst of that. In Proverbs 18, verse 21, here's what... Wisdom declares that death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Now, words have character. Words, they accomplish things. They, 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 you, you need to consider, if you're going to consider this struggle, if we're going to consider the source in our heart, you've got to understand that words have 
have character. They accomplish certain things based on how we use them. And so I just want to run through some of these. I don't have all these verses to come up, but you can jot them down if if you want to and, and look them all up later. But for example, and I just wrote examples. For example, Proverbs 16, 27 and 28. An ungodly man digs up evil and it is on his lips like a burning fire. A perverse man sows strife and a whisperer separates the best of friends. That, what is that? Those two verses are talking about gossip. They're talking about digging up evil. It's talking about uh, uh, saying things behind someone's back that you wouldn't say in front of them. It's about using words to convey things that may be true, but you're using them for malicious purposes or reasons. And and so whatever you want however you want to frame them, however you want to uh uh you know try to negotiate around and say, well, you know, well it's it's you know, this is true, but, but is it necessary for these words to be spoken? Look at how harsh that is. But this, the person who does this sows strife and the whisper separates the best of friends. Look at how it destroys the relationship. One principle that I always live by with regard to that passage of Scripture is that if, if someone will speak evil to me of others then they will speak evil of me to others. And so gossip is dangerous and damaging. And you've got to be careful. And it's damaging to hear and it's damaging to speak. Well, what about Proverbs ten eighteen? Whoever hides hatred has lying lips, but whoever spreads slander is a fool. Talking about slander, talking about being uh, untruthful, saying things uh, to harm the character, the reputation of somebody else. Or um, he who goes about as a Proverbs 2019, he who goes about as a slanderer or or a talebearer, revealing secrets. Therefore, do not associate with one who flatters with his lips. Or don't slander, malign uh, a servant to his master, lest he lest he curse you and you be found guilty, Proverbs 30.10. And so the, the character of words can be gossip, they can be slander, they can, or they can just simply be untrue, they can simply be uh, deceiving. In Proverbs 12.22, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal truthfully are His delight. That, you know, it's, it's not... It's not about getting hung up on the technicality of the word, but but is the word is it true? And it, and 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 then in truth, we want we don't want to be deceiving. We can be technically true, but then be deceiving in the way that we speak, and so we can use uh, things that are untrue to gain an unfair advantage, or to, to to just make someone think well of us, or whatever the case may be, by giving uh, partial truth or. You know, just getting treasures by a lying tongue. The Scripture talks about in Proverbs 21.6. It's a fleeting fantasy of those who seek death. 
just trying to, to, to make people think, think of us in a way that they uh, shouldn't, that's not right or not true. But all of these ways of using words in a negative way, it's not all hope is not lost, thank goodness, that we can leverage words for good, that our words can bring healing, that, and just, you know, simple words. It's sometimes uh, it's the simplest of words spoken in the, in, the right cons, in, in the right context or the right gesture. You know, when you, for example, if you, if you, uh, if you go out of your way to, to check on somebody or to visit somebody, especially maybe somebody in a nursing home, Usually the, the, the most, the loneliest people are people in a, a nursing home. And when you walk in the room, you don't even have to say anything. You just walk in the room and they just light up. And then you just begin to talk about whatever it is they want to talk about. But you see, those words have such power because of the context that they come in. Sometimes it's just a, uh, the, the healing power of words just to let somebody know that you care. You know, that you remember, that you know that it's important because that word matters. You know, one of the, the hardest things for me is that there's, a, there's one word that is, is always paramount on, on all of your minds. And the thing that kills me is that every one of you has a different word that's paramount on your mind. It's your name. It's your name. And you see, when, when we bump into each other, when we see each other, you know, and we, we call each other by our name, and you want to hear people call you by your name because it, it's important to you. It matters to you. It's that, that word means something to you, that, that people know your name. You see, when we... Um, the, the word to encourage, it means to come alongside. It means to, to, to go with. And so, for example, in Proverbs 12, again, verse 25, the Scripture says, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. You see, a person can be down, and just by speaking the right words to them. It can make all the difference just by slowing down. And remember we talked about when when we're in conflict with each other, what we need to do is just stop. Just just compose ourselves. Well, the same thing is that same principle applies positively to words. Slow down and compose yourself. In other words, take a second and ask a question. Ask, how, is, how are you doing? How are you? You know, I, I just think about how simple words have, have made, I've seen them make such a difference in people's lives. I mean, simple words. Like, there's times when, for example, my whole life revolves around words. There's times when I know that the words I'm going to say are very, very, very important. So, for example, at a funeral, every, I take every word very, very seriously because I recognize that there are people who are hurting and grieving and they're listening and I really want to 
be careful to speak exactly what God would have me to speak. But it's astonishing how sometimes in, in just the random paths of life, how words can alter, literally alter relationships and people. And, and sometimes we don't even know that those words are going to do that. We don't know that, you know, uh, I, some of you I know, I think on Wednesday night, maybe a year or so ago, I told a story about there's a, a couple in our church and uh, they've been going here for years. And uh, for the first probably five or six or seven years that they came here, you know, I, I'd never really talked to them. Our paths never really crossed. I mean, I was busy, you know, doing my thing. And I was always over in that building over there. And so I just never really was around them. And, uh, you know, I think I probably knew their last name, you know, or something like that, but that was about it. I'd never had a conversation with them, but we see each other every Sunday. We just had nothing in common. We had no reason to speak. I was just one of those things. And, um, one day I'm driving down the road and I, it's just the middle of the day. I'm driving down the road and I look over and I see them. I don't even know where they live or anything. I see them out in their yard and I see them fooling around in their yard and uh, working out there. And they don't, they didn't know it was me, you know, that they were, you know, probably 50 yards off the road out there. And, and uh, you know, I think they sat down under a tree and their dog was running around and, and uh, she had walked out with like a little, you know, couple sandwiches and a glass of tea or something. And, there's a four-way stop right past their house. So when I came to the four-way stop, I just kind of looked over there and I was just watching what they were doing. And I just felt impressed on my heart right then, you know, to pray for them. And so I just prayed for them. And I said, well, Lord, I don't know what's going on with them. And uh, whatever it is, you know, I just lift them up before you. And I just said a little prayer and I just kept on going. And I didn't think about it anymore. And then a couple weeks passed or something. And I bumped into them one day in the foyer and uh, they were walking by. And I just said, hey, I saw you the other day out in your yard, you know. And they said, really? And I said, yeah. And, you know, you were out there and the dog was out there and you sat down and ate a sandwich and something, something. And I said, I prayed for you that day. And she just bursts into tears right in the foyer. I mean, I'm like, uh, okay, you know, it's okay. Every, it was a good prayer. Everything's fine. Everything's good. It's, you know, what's, what just happened? And she just burst into tears. And she just embraced me and cried on my shoulder, you know, and I'm going... And we've been like this ever since. And you know what? I never said, hey, you know, let's have the whole story about. It was just when I said I prayed for you that day. She knew something that God knew that I didn't know that he told me. But those words sometimes uh, a lot of times people will will talk to me about things and things that I've been talking to God about, but maybe I'm not really 
you know, sure about or I'm just thinking about, but someone will come to me and they'll talk, and they think that they're talking to me about the most random thing they're talking about, but, but really what's happening is they're confirming something to me that I've been needing to hear, that I've been talking to God about something, but I wasn't, and then they're just randomly having, and I know that it's the Lord speaking through them to me, and they think that they have no idea of what their words are, how important they are to me, but the fact that they're saying this, it means so much. It's words. They heal. Your heart can be so anxious. It can be so weighed down. It can be so just so stressed out. And then a good word can make you glad. You know, there's a huge difference. What is the space between anxiety and glad? In the Bible, it's about this much. But in our reality, it seems like a million miles. Back in Proverbs 10, the writer of Proverbs says, The lips of the righteous will feed many, but fools die for lack of wisdom. That, that there, when we speak, we, we speak correctly. It's like feeding the soul. It feeds the people that we talk to. And then on that same, in that same tone in Proverbs 16, verse 24, Pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. And so if God sends His Son to this earth to reconcile us to Him, to reconcile us to Him, that we, we, we need to be reconciled. What happens when we reconcile? When we reconcile, we, we, we enter into relationship. That He erases what was the sin that, that prevented that, that separate us. So He sends His Son to earth to reconcile us to Himself, that we'd have relationship with Him. So this relation, if this, if this economy is based on relationship, which the Scripture clearly teaches that it is, and then He uses words. Everything that we, that we, that we count on, everything tonight that I can bank my life on, that I know, that I know, that I know is true. That I live my life according to. How do I know that? Because I think it? No. Because God said it. Because of words. This relationship, though, was accomplished by Christ. It's sustained. The essence of that relationship is in the words whether you take the words out and we're just lost. So my whole life, your whole life is built on words. Now when we turn around this way, we relate to God that way. Then when we turn around and we begin to relate outwardly to one another, we cannot simply just Start flippantly letting things fly out of our mouth. We can't do that. We simply can't do that. Because these relationships, all these horizontal relationships, they're going to they're gonna live or they're going to die based on the way we 
communicate to each other. And that's all going to live or going to die based on this struggle that's within us, this struggle in our heart. That are we going to live for our agenda or are we going to live for God's agenda, which is the agenda of those around us? Are we going to put others in front of ourselves? Are we going to love our neighbor like ourselves, or are we going to live for ourselves? And so here's why I think if you go full circle and come all the way back from the beginning to right now, here's the takeaway. That the way our heart changes is by this relationship and these words. And then as that impacts our heart, we're then able to alter here. We can't just start in the horizontal. It will not work. We can't, I, I, I can't go home tonight and just say, you know, I've gotta, it's got to be this first and then this. Words matter. Now, I'm not saying that you should all go home and take out a piece of paper and write all the things down that you've said to your spouse that you regret or your kids that you regret. I'm, I'm, I'll tell you, it's a painful experience. It's painful. But here's what it will do. It will absolutely, positively put you in touch with the depravity of our heart. Just the wickedness of our flesh. The selfishness that we can so easily fall into. And then if we'll just let the sting of that, let God convict our heart of that. And then as we go forward, just pause a moment. Think. Pause. And before we open our mouth and consider, you know, the opportunity God's given, given us. What a difference it would make. The last thing I thought was, I thought, you know, God, if I were you, whew, aren't we glad that's not true? If I were you, I would have rationed words. I'd have gave, I'd only give each person so many per day. That would have solved the problem, wouldn't it? If we, only, if we could only say a few a day, we'd have to think about it. We'd have to be, I'd be in huge trouble, wouldn't I? Uh, I'd be a disaster. But he didn't do that. He, he gives us as many as we want. Maybe that's a grace it's a way it's a way for him to constantly woo us back to him isn't it to remind me every day how much i need him because of the way i flippantly use my words so let's stand and bow our heads as we just consider the goodness of god towards us in spite of ourselves father tonight help us to just stop in this moment and recognize and realize that every word that we have ever spoken that was spoken in selfishness and anger and pride and wrath, Jesus died for those words. He paid every single penny of debt that they amassed. And just in this one area of our life, Lord, 
we see how gracious and good and amazing you've been to us through words. Lord, help us. Help us in our hearts to desire to be like you with our words, to speak like you, to not bite and devour, but to encourage and edify and build up, to put others before ourselves, to take the time to say the words, I love you, and to back those words up with action to speak the things that need to be spoken, to make sure that the ears that uh, you have given us the opportunity to, to speak into, that we wouldn't take them for granted, Lord. Thank you for the word Father, what that means to us, to be able to call you our Father so thankful, Lord, that you're my father. That you've invited us into relationship with you. And that we can we can leave this place tonight and know that every word that you've spoken is absolutely, completely and utterly true and it's never going to change. That you never take anything back. You never revert back or or take away or alter or switch gears that you're always consistent thank you lord thank you god we need your grace and your mercy with regards to our words and we thank you for that in jesus name amen we'll just pause for a few moments